Support for this podcast comes from San Francisco International Airport. At SFO, you can discover award-winning flavors and unique shops all before takeoff. Learn more about what's at SFO at flysfo.com. Hi there. I'm Randa Fattah from ThruLine. If you're listening to this podcast, you know that KQED produces exceptional storytelling that keeps you informed, inspired, and entertained. Their podcasts cover issues from your neighborhood to the entire country and everything in between. Support this work today. You can help us continue to bring quality podcasts to your ears. Just head to donate.kqed.org slash podcast. That's donate.kqed.org slash podcast. From KQED. From KQED in San Francisco, I'm Alexis Madrigal. Across cultures and religions, there's something to the holiday suite. Maybe it's a panettone, one of those Italian sweet breads speckled with candied fruit, or it's a Mexican buñuelo, flat and fried and delicious, or it's a plate of cookies, a half dozen varieties chosen just so, and arrayed for a party or a present. You see where I'm going here. We're talking holiday sweets with elite bakers who can talk about their own traditions and help you find just the thing at the intersection of what you want and what you can actually make. So lightly dust yourself with flour, cue up the Mariah Carey, preheat that oven. It's holiday baking time coming up after the break. Welcome to Forum. I'm Alexis Madrigal. Though I love to cook, I spent my first 21 years as an adult afraid of flour. It just seemed to have all these magical properties, and I didn't feel like I had been initiated into the sacred club of people who could alchemize flour and sugar into delicious things. But earlier this year, actually after we had Rima Seal on the show and I started to make her flatbreads, I got over my fear of flour And I've been happily making and baking things ever since, including some of the recipes from our guests here today. But, but, I still don't trust myself with a cake or a fancy show pony of a holiday dessert. So I'm here to learn from and with all of you and our esteemed guests. Here to teach us some new things about the sweet treats of this season, we're joined by Jessica Badalana. She's a staff editor with King Arthur Baking Company and author of the excellent cookbook, which you should all buy, Repertoire. All the recipes you need. Welcome, Jessica. Hey, Alexis. Good morning. <laughs> We're also joined by Esteban Castillo. He's a food blogger and author of the cookbook, Chicano Bakes, Recipes for Mexican Pan Dulce, Tamales, and My Favorite Dessert. Welcome. Good morning. Good morning. And we're joined by Anna Veloshina, a chef, blogger, and culinary instructor, and author of Budmo, Recipes from a Ukrainian Kitchen. We actually had her on to talk about her cookbook uh, just a few weeks ago. Welcome back. Thank you so much. Happy to be here. So I want to start off, and maybe let's go with you, Anna. Um, share a childhood or holiday kind of baking or eating memory that kind of really sticks with you. Like, what is this season? When you think of this season... And you think of holiday sweets, like, what do you think of? 
Definitely not cookies. <laughs> <laughs> you are anti-cookie. You're anti-cookie. Well, I'm not. It's just not a thing in Ukraine. We bake this rich yeasted pastry with poppy seeds. And like one of the brightest memory is my mom's poppy seed roll, which is like have these amazing layers and it's fresh from the oven and it's the best breakfast ever. Um. Jessica, we need to go to the other side of the cookie lover <laughs> spectrum. <laughs> you are the person I most associate in my life with cookies. God, what what an honor that is. Uh, well, first of all, I think that the thing that Anna described sounds delicious, and I want her to send me the recipe. But I do believe there's room, you know, at the holiday table for that and for cookies. Um, I love cookies all year round, but especially at the holidays. Um, and I think, Alexis, the reason that you think of me when you think of cookies is that I typically hold a cookie party every year where I make a dozen or so varieties and invite people over for cookies and only cookies. There's no sort of real food served. Um, and we had to take a little hiatus the last few years, but the cookie party is back this year. Um, and I'm doing some old favorites as well as some new recipes from the King Arthur holiday cookie collection, which is 30 recipes deep. So lots of inspiration there. I also just want to say you got going on that holiday cookie party precisely because the smaller San Francisco homes and Bay Area homes, this is kind of a really good way to do holiday entertaining, right? It's I I thought it was ideal. Our, our first apartment in San Francisco, I think, was, I don't know, 500 square feet. Um, so I wanted to host a holiday party, but we couldn't. There was no place for anybody to sit and I didn't have enough utensils. So I was like, all right, what's a party that requires nothing but like people's hands and you can stand around and eat, um, but it feels festive. And I think cookies totally fit the bill. People, I mean, except for maybe Anna, <laughs> people, <laughs> people love cookies, um, I you know, like cookies. So different varieties. So you can kind of make, uh, you know, a cookie to suit every taste. And and that's that was actually the, the crux of the King Arthur package this year um, was like, if you want you know, sort of what kind of cookie person are you? Do you want like a crispy, fruity cookie or a chewy chocolate cookie? And there's sort of a matrix to to find your perfect cookie. Yeah. Um, Esteban, I wanted to get to you for a holiday memory. I know that you actually have a legendary cookie, which we can talk about in a bit, Chicano <laughs> chocolate chip cookie. But I want to make sure you have a chance. Holiday memory, like what you associate with the season. You know, come. You know, I I have to agree with Anna. Growing up for me, baking just wasn't a thing for the holidays. For me, when I think of the holidays, I think of tamales dulces, you know, sweet strawberry tamales, sweet pineapple tamales. I also think of uh, gelatinas, all sorts of different jellos. Um, I think of flan. And I also think of buñuelos, which are these uh, crispy fritters that are tossed in a cinnamon sugar. So I'm right in there with Anna. <laughs> yeah. Hey, tell us a little bit more about the... I mean, for people who haven't had this, could they think of it as almost like an unrolled churro? Kind of. It's very thin and it's very crispy. Um, and it's the other day I shared this recipe over on my on my socials and a lot of people were showing up in the comments saying, hey, I also enjoy these in Norway. Um, I enjoy these in Italy and in Malaysia and in India and people outside of Mexico call them rosette cookies. Um, so it's it seems to be something that, you know, it's shared across many different cultures. Um, but for me, you know, it was these buñuelos that immediately make me think of Christmas because they come in these like little snowflake shapes. Yeah, yeah. 
We're talking about holiday baking with Anna Boloshina, chef, blogger, culinary instructor, and author of Budmo Recipes from a Ukrainian Kitchen, Esteban Castillo, food blogger and author of the cookbook Chicano Bakes, and Jessica Badalana, staff editor with King Arthur Baking Company and author of the cookbook Repertoire, All the Recipes You Need. We imagine this is going to be a collar-heavy show. Um, we all have different kinds of traditions for these sweets, so we'd love to hear from you. What's your favorite kind of holiday dessert from your culture to bake or eat? Or you can call us and share one of your holiday baking or, or eating memories. The number is 866-733-6786. That's 866-733-6786. Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, we're KQED Forum, or the email is forum at kqed.org. Uh, Stephen, I do want to come back to this chocolate chip cookie thing, though, because I have heard about it. Um, what makes <laughs> your chocolate chip cookie a Chicano chocolate chip cookie? You know, now that I'm able to host for Christmas, I really get to have fun experimenting with all sorts of big goods, um, specifically like my chocolate flan desserts um, and my cookies. And one of the things that I developed for my new cookbook uh, was what I like to call the Chicano Bakes cookie. And it's a cookie that I've been working on for the past couple of years. Um, when I first launched my blog back in 2016, I was going to vendor events. And this is one of the things that I would sell. Um, and it's essentially my take on the chocolate chip cookie, which incorporates bittersweet chocolate. It incorporates milk chocolate, um, brown butter, um, as well as Mexican chocolate. And when you are making the dough, the Mexican chocolate just sort of melts into the dough. Mm. So you get this like really nutty, this rich um, chocolate chip cookie that is just so glossy and so, uh, I don't know, it's just like the ultimate chocolate chip cookie for me. <laughs> yeah. One of the things I, I love about you bakers is you can work on a cookie for a couple of years. <laughs> I love the, I love the, cause it's, it's true, right? It takes a lot. And Jessica, come, come to you on this. Um, cause you've been developing recipes for a long time and, and are, you know, do it at King Arthur all the time. What are the things when you're working on perfecting a recipe, what are the things that you're actually doing? Well, I, I think, you know, I always want to make a recipe that has as many steps as necessary, but no more. Um, you know, you want to be sort of considerate to the baker, to the cook, like a recipe that works, that's sort of durable, that's delicious. Um, and by durable, I mean, like, it's hard to mess up, right? You've, you've identified the pain points and you've tried to sort of ferret those out for people so that they aren't left wondering, like, well, what do I do now? Or what's it, what if what if it looks like this? Or you know, you sort of put yourself in the shoes of of a cook or a baker and try to answer all those questions. I like my recipes to feel like I'm standing next to somebody, mm. you know, at the stove or at the mixer, just and and like stepping in at the points that I think, you know, they might need help. But you know, Alexis, at the beginning, you said something about you know, kind of overcoming your fear of of flour and that you know <laughs> you you've begun to develop as a baker now, and I think. Honestly, that's the lovely thing about cooking and baking is that you can, you know, you can come to it at any time. Like, you know, at 44 years old, like it's not likely I'm going to become like a professional basketball player or, <laughs> you know, like a concert violinist. But like baking and cooking is is something that you can pick up at any time, um, you know, and start with no skill level and really be able to, you know, to succeed, which is why I think it's so inclusive and so exciting, you know, whether it's cookies or poppy seed cake or buñuelos, like they're, they're sort of a place for, for every type of cook or baker. Yeah. Let's squeeze in a call before the break. Joan in Oakland. Welcome. Oh, hi. So, um, great show. Really fun. So, um, 
I used to make these Italian cookies uh, called Pizzelles with my dad, and I inherited the family Pizzelle iron. They're like um, they're like a waffle cookie. So um, I, apparently now you can get plug-in Pizzelle makers, but I have the kind. It's a heavy cast iron. Um, yeah, like iron that fits on the burner on the stove and you put the batter in you it's a hinged thing so you oh, close yeah. it down f- flatten it out and you make these beautiful delicate crispy anise flavored um italian cookies and they're just you know they've got a really nice pattern from um the em- embossed design in the the iron itself and it's just you know it's a nice memory my dad and i standing at the stove making these cookies mm. one by one and um i actually just made some yesterday for the first time in several years so uh, just wanted to share that oh joan that's a lovely memory and do you you know when yeah. they, at the end are they crispy like i could like snap them and they'd make a noise or are they like softer like a yes. they're crispy no they're they're crispy and so you end up with you know a stack of these crispy kind of snowflake looking cookies they're about like an eighth of an inch thick mm. they do not travel well they <laughs> <laughs> you have to hand deliver them um, carefully but yeah they're just um they're really different they're very light and you know that anise flavor is something that's kind of unique right to the italian um cooking so anyway um i love it you can find recipes online if anyone you know i'm happy to tell you that king arthur does have a pizzelle recipe online if you're looking for one and they are a special cookie are they really are they is that hard or easy like if you're zero to ten uh, Jessica on that one. Um, I, you know, I, I don't know. Maybe, a, maybe a six. Okay, because you, right. you have to make them one at a time, which is a little tedious. But they're not difficult. I wouldn't say. Yeah, we're talking about holiday baking with Jessica Badalana, staff editor at King Arthur Baking Company, author of the cookbook Repertoire: All the Recipes You Need. Esteban Castillo, food blogger and author of the cookbook Chicano Bakes, which everyone I ever mention it to says is amazing. And Anna Voloshina, a chef blogger and culinary instructor, author of Budmo, Recipes from a Ukrainian Kitchen. We will be back to talk with all three of them about great holiday baking recipes. I'm Alexis Madrigal. Stay tuned for more. Support for Forum comes from San Francisco Opera. Set 10 years after a school shooting, the critically acclaimed opera Innocence takes us into a complex emotional journey where our understanding of innocence and guilt is constantly upended. Kaya Sariajo's ethereal score collapses the past into the present as a community of survivors grapple with how to move forward. Don't miss the highly anticipated American premiere of Innocence, June 1st through 21st. Learn more at sfopera.com. We've all got those parts of our house where the internet just won't go. Well, if you had wall-to-wall Wi-Fi from Xfinity, you could worry less about dead spots. Because with wall-to-wall Wi-Fi from Xfinity, you get fast speeds, reliable connection in every room, and power for all of your devices, even when everyone's online. That's wall-to-wall Wi-Fi only with Xfinity. Restrictions apply. Not available in all areas. Actual speeds vary. 
Welcome back to Forum. I'm Alexis Madrigal. We're having fun this morning with a holiday baking show joined by Jessica Badalana, staff editor at King Arthur Baking Company, Anna Voloshina, author of Budmo, Recipes from a Ukrainian Kitchen, and Esteban Castillo, author of the cookbook Chicano Bakes. Um, Anna, I want to ask you about sort of Christmas in Ukraine, um, which you have in, in your book. It's a big deal. And I want to ask you for a show pony dessert. You know, this is the kind of thing where you you want to, like, take this thing out after everybody uh, has eaten and they're sitting around chit-chatting, maybe having some coffee. You bring this thing out. You drop it on the table and everyone's like, ooh. Do you, do you have one of those in your oh, back pocket? Oh, yes. So <laughs> definitely honey cake with as many layers as you can make and with this wonderful sour cream frosting and prunes and uh, if you can top it with some roasted uh, hazelnuts, that's amazing. And as you know, we are not big on like everyday desserts in Ukraine. So like dessert after dinner is not something you would often see in Ukraine. But during holidays, this is the time to shine and like show big guns. So definitely honey cake or this wonderful cake called um, uh, Smenakova Hata, which is basically shaped as a uh, wooden hut, but it's actually made of this crispy, flaky rolls and stuffed with sour cherries. And of course, uh, on top, it's sour cream frosting. And then it's dusted with dark chocolate. And I have both recipes in my cookbook. And if you have time and you want to make something lovely for Christmas, I would recommend those two things. Yeah. And I know that um, there's been some legendary, like San Franciscans know, at least one legendary uh, honey cake from 20th Century Cafe, which is gone, right? So you've got to... Oh my God, I miss it so, so much. But I need to say that that cake was like a, a more refined, fancier version and the layers are thinner and slightly more dense. In Ukraine, the layers are fluffier, slightly thicker, and the cake is kind of lighter, I would say. Mm. And of course, uh, to my opinion, the, what makes it Ukrainian is a layer of prunes soaked in cognac, which mm. is so good. That's interesting. Esteban, how about you? Show pony uh, dessert. For me, the showstopper is going to be the choco flan. Mm. If you've never had a choco flan before, it's essentially two desserts in one. Um, the way that you build this is you take a bunt pan and you lay down a layer of chocolate cake. And then over the batter, you actually ladle on um, a flan mixture and you bake this in a water bath for about two hours and then when you invert it, um, you'll actually notice that both of the batters have swapped places due to um, their density. And hmm. so it's always like a really tasty magic trick to have up your sleeve. Because <laughs> um, even when I teach this as a class, people always ask me, Esteban, did you do this correctly? Didn't you put in the chocolate cake first? Um, but, you know, it, it it's really such a beautiful um, cake and it always just impresses people. And it takes almost like... No effort. <laughs> oh, I love a tasty magic Can't trick. Wait to make that. Yeah, that yeah, right. So good to me. I was looking at that in your book, Esteban, and it's high on my list of things to bake. Yeah. yeah it... Oh, go ahead. Go ahead. No, I was going to say it's also really funny because when my first uh, cookbook came out, Chicano Eats, back in 2020, one of the recipes that people immediately gravitated towards was my Dulce de Leche Choco Flan. And that recipe is what led to this current book, Chicano Bakes, because it, it was just everywhere. And so if you have the chance to make this Choco Flan, um, any of the Choco Flans that I've developed, um, I'm sure you're going to be impressed. Yeah. 
Um, Jessica, I have to ask you about um, a, a show pony dessert that I would like to make uh, for Hanukkah in our family this year, which is sufgana yot. They're um, these kind of jelly-filled donuts eaten, you know, along with other fried foods around Hanukkah. I'm scared of frying dough. Anna, I, I fried some dough out of your book at one point, uh, and it was and it was very delicious. But there's almost no moment that I fear more in cooking than having a big thing of hot oil and then having to like drop something into it. Um, so, what are some kind of tips you might have for the fried dough uh, realm, Jessica? Gosh, I'm so glad you asked me this question. I'm always evangelizing about fried things at work, and I've gotten a bit of a reputation. Um, I think people are generally afraid of frying at home, which is a shame because fried foods are so insanely delicious, both sweet and savory. Um, a few things. I mean, use an, like a sturdy, high-sided pot and don't overfill it because then you don't have any risk of it, you know, bubbling over onto your stove, which could, you know, burn down your house. So we don't want to do that at the holidays. Um, I also think monitoring the temperature of your oil, like having a good digital thermometer and just like keeping an eye um, on the temperature and adjusting as needed, because once oil gets hot, it can then really start to race. Um, I also think uh, I would caution against the the term drop in the oil, because I think our instinct with a pot of hot oil is to like drop something. Stay very far away from it. (laughs) And like throw it in there and hope for the best, you know, but it's better if you sort of gently you know, I think lower things in the oil. And we just did on um, the King Arthur YouTube channel, we have a video of Claire Saffitz, who has an amazing dessert mm-hmm. book called What's for Dessert. Mm-hmm. Uh, she did a recipe for sour cream donuts. Um, and she had a very handy tip, which I will share with you. She um, put her donuts, she piped her donuts and put them on a, a square of parchment paper. And then she slides the donut, parchment and all, into the hot oil. Um, which makes it super easy to like lower them in gently. And then once the um, the donut has set, then the parchment just peels off easily. But there's a whole video to walk you through it. Um, but don't be afraid because sufgani oat, woof, homemade sufgani oat is such a treat. It's so good. Um, let's get back to the phones. There's a, a bunch of really fun uh, calls coming in. Patty in Los Gatos, welcome. Hi, how are you? Hey, doing well. Thanks so, for calling. Uh, <laughs> So I, I have a fond memory um, growing up. Uh, I have a Greek background, so my favorite Greek Christmas cookie is called Melomokarana. It's a Greek um, dough-based cookie that's dipped in honey. It has lots of um, cloves, cinnamon, um, and that kind of uh, taste in it, and uh, with a lot of crushed walnuts inside and, and on top. It's really yummy, really good, soft cookie. Wow. And uh, very I think popular. I misheard you. I thought I heard you say dill-based cookie. That can't be right, right? No. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Walnut. Got it. Got it. Well, yes. Okay. It, that makes sense. I was just trying to imagine a dill-based cookie that I would want to eat. Um, okay. No. So it's it's uh, basically it's a it's dough mixed with sem- semolina, and then um, when. And then you uh, have honey mixed with clove and cinnamon, and you dip the the cookie dough in the the honey, and then it's you top it off with crushed walnuts, and it's just amazing. Uh, I can't eat enough of it. (laughs) And Melo Nakanara, is that right? Melo Makarona. Melo Makarona. Melo means uh, honey in Greek. Uh huh. So. Oh, that's beautiful. Yeah. Oh, it's Patty, amazing. Yeah. Really, really good. 
and um, you know, my parent. I'm from Toronto, Canada originally, so my parents are there, and uh, you know, I miss I miss that. Yeah, <laughs> I miss having my mom make those, but um, I actually often get them. The Greek churches in the, in around the Bay Area, they they serve them just before Christmas holidays, so you can actually go and get them. And uh, you can find the recipes, every, you know, on online. They have them everywhere. I've tried to make them a few times, but it's not as good as my mom's. <laughs> so. <laughs> You'll get there. You'll get there, Patty. You got a lifetime. Um, <laughs> um, thanks so much for that. That's a great memory. Uh, yeah. I want to add on a comment. Rebecca writes in to say, the one dessert that signaled the Christmas holidays in my childhood was baklava. As far back as I can remember, my parents would order a large sheet of the addicting, flaky, layered, sweet dessert. It was home-baked by a Syrian family. Their grandmother lived next door to us. That sounds so good. I'm going to take one more call before we come back to our guest here. Kelsey in Union City, welcome. Hi. Um, I am calling in to tell you about the sweet bread that my husband's family makes. Mm. Um, So I come from a... Uh, Portuguese family and I married into a Portuguese Italian family and every Easter and especially at Christmas my father-in-law makes uh, Portuguese sweet bread and uh, he learned from his dad and so I've been in this family a long time we started dating when we were 12 but when oh my we God. got married <laughs> <laughs> but when we got married um, I wanted to learn how to make the sweet bread that I've been watching my father-in-law make all these years So we started making it together, and um, I'm really excited because this year, my two two of my three sister-in-laws are going to also learn um, how to make it, and we're going to all make it together a couple days before Christmas. So it will be a very special time. But also, um, in 2020, my father-in-law walked me through it on Zoom, and that was not great, but um, also kind of a fond memory now that we're further away from 2020. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Wow, Kelsey. I imagine there's a whole story about how you end up marrying your elementary school sweetheart. Um, <laughs> but um, <laughs> but we will, we will move on, and you can call back in when we have a show on elementary school sweethearts. I want to hear that. Um, thank you so much, Kelsey. Thank you. Um, Jessica, I know that you have sweet bread in, like, this is also a big memory for you yeah my mom was a great uh a great cook and and a so-so baker actually but um at the holidays she always made uh stolen which is a german christmas bread it's a yeasted enriched dough and it has um a candied citrus peel in it and often almond paste and blanched almonds um and she would just bake you know dozens of them and distribute them to family and friends. And, you know, it's, it was so sweet to hear the caller talking about being taught a recipe um, Mm. because I never, you know, I just sort of assumed my mom would make stolen forever. uh, And I never learned the recipe from her. And then my mom died in 2018 and that Christmas, she died in September of that year. And when Christmas rolled around, I was like, ugh. (laughs) <laughs> like, who's going to make the stolen? Uh, I guess it's me. Um, so the last few years, I've been making the stolen, sort of experimenting with different recipes. Um, and then this year, my colleague at King Arthur, uh, Martin Phillip, developed a chocolate hazelnut version of stolen. And so I'm going to give that a shot in addition to my kind of classic one. That sounds very good. Um, we have a, a question, um, and I'm going to toss this one to you, Ana and Esteban. Um, Kevin writes, I have about 200 lemons. 
on my Meyer lemon tree. And I wondered if the guests have any favorite recipes for all the citrus that's in season right now. Uh, Esteban, you want to take a, take a shot? Anything come to mind? Yeah, I mean, instantly you can make some sort of like lemon curd and you can use this as a filling for cakes. <laughs> yeah, or sufganayot or any, you know, yeah, yeah, lemon curd is, you know. That was yeah. my or, thought. Donuts can... filled with lemon curd. This is amazing. <laughs> we make them for Christmas actually in Ukraine. We call them pampuhi and they're exactly like sufganayot and we fill them usually with homemade jelly. But I think lemon curd sounds wonderful. Oh, man. Lemon curd is really a gift, gift to the earth. Yeah, go ahead, Jessica. I could just provide my address because I'm living very far away from <laughs> the land of citrus now. And, uh, you know, just a box of Meyer lemons deposited at my door would be a treat. Yeah, that would um, be good. Yeah, you can take about 100 off his hands. Yeah. yeah, exactly. Or, I mean, I think lemon marmalade would be fun, too. And that could also be used as a cake filling um, or just on toast. But it would use a lot of the lemons, you know, because yeah. you can freeze the zest and you can freeze the juice too but 200 lemons that's a lot of zest and juice that is yeah or like a little it could be in a thumbprint cookie or something like that too right totally um everyone we are talking about holiday baking with jessica badalana staff editor at king arthur baking company and author of the cookbook repertoire esteban castillo food blogger and author of the uh, cookbook chicano bakes as well as chicano eats but relevant to the show chicano bakes and anna voloshina you may recognize her from this show but she's also the author of budmo recipes from ukrainian kitchen and a chef blogger and a culinary instructor we're also talking with all of you we're taking your holiday food memories or your favorite kind of holiday desserts, the things that really, you know, when you when you get to this time of the year, you think like, I want this on my table, or I want to make this or eat this. The number is 866-733-6786. That's 866-733-6786. Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, we're KQED Forum, and the email is forum at kqed.org. Um, and I have a, a specific question for you. A listener writes in to say, decades ago, my Ukrainian aunt would make a breakfast consisting of cream sauce, not sweet, with brown butter on top, served with a toasty Kaiser roll, which we dipped into this delicious mixture. As I recall, she called it maustila, and that's my phonetic attempt from memory literally 40 years later. As I no longer have any living Ukrainian relatives, I ask you, is there a Ukrainian food that exists that meets this description? Because it's an amazing cold weather, not sweet, but with a special holiday feel. Oh my God, I've never heard of it. Can you imagine that? Sounds wonderful, though. But I can imagine that she probably baked something like this poppy seed roll or something similar with a rich yeasted dough. And the leftover made this amazing breakfast. And she would make this probably sour sour cream based Mm -hmm. uh, custard because we often do that in Ukraine. And everything we bake makes an amazing breakfast breakfast the next day and we are very very big on yeasted dough sweet and savory pastry so probably this is one of those recipes um maybe even a christmas recipe yeah 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 let's um take another caller we got uh linda in clayton welcome hi this is linda in clayton yeah welcome to the show go ahead Oh, hi. I just wanted to, um, this, this is a recipe that I would make with my grandma. We always have this cookie day. She'd make tons of these cookies and then give them out to her friends. And the kids, we had to be the helpers, you know, frosting <laughs> and decorating. They're called Kuchidavi, and it's an, um, a Sicilian fig 
fig cookie. So it's sort of like a fig bar, but it's got, um, you know, ground figs is the main ingredient for the filling. And then it's got, you know, uh, nuts and raisins and cinnamon and marmalade and walnuts. And I like to put like candied fruit in there. So it's sort of like a fruit cakey feel to mm. it. But mm-hmm. um, And um, not everybody... My son doesn't like them. My daughter loves them. <laughs> but <laughs> my daughter has made a, we do a, sometimes we do a day where we make cookies, make the cookie dadi. And uh, yeah, it's just um, everybody sounds... loves the cookies in my family. <laughs> yeah, that sounds delicious, Linda. Thank you so much for uh, for sharing that. I, I, I want to take this. There's a couple different directions we go out of this. But Noel tweeted in to say, I like making my mom's chocolate rum fruitcake. I don't like glacé fruit. hope I said that right. So I substitute them with raisins, dried cherries, dried apricots, and other dried fruit I may have around. I can make a vegan version, which is so good. The question is fruitcake. Jessica, we'll start with you. Why did it become a joke, and is that unfair? You know, like, I feel like fruitcake was the thing you were given where you were like, oh, great, a fruitcake. But was that just a sitcom trope for some reason? (laughs) Well, I mean, it does keep forever, right? So I think there is something to that. Like, But I think... I, you know, I actually love fruitcake and I think it's kind of got a bad rap because it was made with garbage fruit, right? Like cherries aren't supposed to be fluorescent green. So if you have a fluorescent <laughs> green cherry, you know, it's not going to taste like anything delicious. It's just going to taste like sickly sweet. Um, but like a properly made fruitcake with like really nice dried fruit um, can't, you know, maybe handmade or even store-bought candied orange, like is a beautiful thing. I mean, it's like a brandy soaked cake that keeps really well. Um, and you know, in little slivers, almost like a confection, I think it can be really special, but yes, I think it got its bad reputation because of the crummy fruit that people used. And then like, nobody wants to eat it. So you're just kind of keeping it thinking maybe somebody will eat it until a year later, you eventually throw it out. Right. Right. right, right. <laughs> Simon, have, have you encountered a fruitcake that you love just quickly before the break? I have to confess that I've actually never had fruitcake before. <laughs> yeah, you know what? I was I was trying to think about this. That's why I was asking if it was just a sitcom trope because I've never even seen one in real life, I don't think, you know? May, you maybe, send I you guess. all a fruitcake after this. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> why, thank you, Jessica Badalana, author of the cookbook, Repertoire, All the Recipes You Need. Also talking with Esteban Castillo, food blogger and author of the cookbook, Chicano Bakes, and Anna Voloshina, chef blogger, culinary instructor, and author of Budmo, Recipes from Ukrainian kitchen we'll be back with more of your calls and more holiday baking tips i'm alexis madrigal stay tuned for more support for forum comes from san francisco opera Set 10 years after a school shooting, the critically acclaimed opera Innocence takes us into a complex emotional journey where our understanding of innocence and guilt is constantly upended. Kaya Sariajo's ethereal score collapses the past into the present as a community of survivors grapple with how to move forward. Don't miss the highly anticipated American premiere of Innocence, June 1st through 21st. Learn more at sfopera.com. We've all got those parts of our house where the internet just won't go. Well, if you had wall-to-wall Wi-Fi from Xfinity, you could worry less about dead spots. Because with wall-to-wall Wi-Fi from Xfinity, you get fast speeds, reliable connection in every room, and power for all of your devices, even when everyone's online. That's wall-to-wall Wi-Fi only with Xfinity. 
Restrictions apply. Not available in all areas. Actual speeds vary. Welcome back to Forum. I'm Alexis Madrigal. Every other Wednesday, we do talk about food here on the show. And today, we are talking about holiday baking with Esteban Castillo, author of the cookbook Chicano Bakes, Jessica Badalana, staff editor at King Arthur Baking Company, and author of the cookbook Repertoire, and Anna Voloshina, chef blogger and culinary instructor, author of Budmo Recipes from a Ukrainian Kitchen. Um, Esteban, before we go back to the phones, Bill wrote in to say, an adopted favorite holiday recipe of mine from my wife's family in Mexican culture is the Rosca de Reyes. Can you tell us a little bit about that? Yes. Well, it's not kind of like a fruitcake, but it has similar, you know, um, characteristics where it's it's essentially our version of the king's cake. And it's something that we have on January 6th for El Dia de los Reyes Magos or the um, Three Wise uh, King's Day. And so it's it's a cake in the shape of a ring and it has a sugary streusel on it. Uh, but then we also adorn it with different dried uh, candy fruits. Um, and so in in the actual cake, uh, sometimes bakers will bake a little baby to represent Jesus. And so um, there is a tradition around that where whoever gets to slice with the baby Jesus actually gets to make tamales for everyone um, in February. <laughs> so as kids, we would we would always cross our fingers hoping that we never got the baby because we didn't know how to make tamales. <laughs> yeah, right. I, this is totally the king's cake uh, tradition, like in New Orleans, right? Kind yeah. of a really, really similar thing. Oh, man, that's, a, um, that's fun. Uh, I always have found that tradition slightly creepy also, <laughs> but but in a fun way, in a fun way. Um, we, the uh, Scandinavians are really coming out. Let's, we're going to do a little block of Scandinavian treats here. First up, uh, Victor in Walnut Creek. Welcome. Hey, welcome. Can you hear me? Yeah, sure can. Go ahead. Okay. Christmas Eve was the big deal when I grew up in Wisconsin. I'm a, a Norwegian named Ortiz from uh, Uruguay. <laughs> Wow. I grew up in Wisconsin. Christmas Eve was a big party with, uh, speaking of hidden treats, um, start, uh, Christmas Eve dinner starting with a rice pudding in which one blanched almond was hidden. And the tradition was the person who got the almond was supposed to be the next to get married. And it usually went to a spinster aunt or to a three-year-old cousin who would start crying because <laughs> I didn't want to leave home. After dinner, seven different types of cookies. And uh, so I've got to put in a word for shortbread uh, type crusts and cookies and also for cardamom spice. So um, uh, I've just made uh, dough last night for sunbuckles and another kind of cookie called Berliner Kranzer. Both are shortbread based. And then there is a cardamom uh uh, pastry made in a pie dish, which has a shortbread crust and has a meringue inside full of cardamom and uh, ground almonds, and then a lattice top on it that you bake, which is fabulous. That's called firstekake. So there's lots and lots of wonderful Norwegian uh, cookies for Victor. Are you Christmas a pro? Danish are you a Norwegian. are you a pro uh, <laughs> pro baker here? Or are you just a uh, you know kind of an elite <laughs> amateur? Yeah, right, exactly. We well, planted this one. Yeah, the uh, Norwegian Christmas was such an important tradition. It's really the one thing I've brought to my now Filipino and American and Mexican family. And um, so I have held this tradition by making lots of these types of food. Also something called lefse, which is like a, a thin potato tortilla, 
uh, very soft and kind of challenging to make. So I do this big Christmas Eve dinner with pork roast and sour cabbage and the rice pudding uh, course and the seven cookies for dessert. And we dance around the Christmas tree and sing Christmas carols before dessert. Um, so it's a wonderful tradition that brings back my childhood. And I've I've just kind of uh, laid it on my poor family who have to put up with me on Christmas Eve. Victor, you're bringing tears to my eyes. I, I know. Can't, I want this, to be adopted. I know. Family. This is fantastic. Um, come, on, come, on, come on over and have a taste. <laughs> yeah, thank you so much, Victor. Have a great uh, holiday season. Have a great Christmas Eve dinner. That sounds like definitely guaranteed to be good. Um, let's, uh, I, I want to get to a couple more of these Scandinavian calls because they're so interesting. Sirpa in uh, Berkeley, welcome. Hi. Hi, welcome. Go ahead. Yeah, sure can. Uh, Yeah, this is a very good um, continuation for Victor's Christmas because I am on my way to my my grandchildren's preschool to create a finished Christmas. (laughs) And I have a big, I just made um, the rice pudding with one almond for 30 kids (laughs) in my car (laughs) this morning. And took forever, and so because you have to cook it very slowly. And we do this huge Christmas Eve as well. I have, I think, 24 people coming for dinner this year, and um, I have seven grandchildren, two coming from Italy on the 20th, and that's when we start baking crazy. And we bake. My favorite Finnish Christmas baking is this something called Yule Tortu. It's Yule tart, and it's like a, it's puff pastry with prune in the middle. And it's a pinwheel shape. And I just made them. I had one for breakfast this morning with my coffee before my rice cooking. And <laughs> yeah, right. um, they're, they're wonderful. And a couple of years I've been really Martha Stewardish. And I've actually made the, make the, the middle part from my own plums in my plum tree, which ah. is crazy. And then we take gingerbreads. And the gingerbreads are not like American gingerbreads. You can't use molasses. you got to get this dark syrup and i just ordered it and it cost me a fortune to get it here but and um so we use that and there's this incredible smell in the kitchen you know with for i use that smell my in my first year here over 40 years ago i tried so many different ways of making gingerbread i couldn't get the syrup and it wasn't right the molasses smell just bothered me and my father finally sent me a bottle from finland by express mail, so I could get my my Christmas mail. Then we also make cardamom bread called pulla. A lot of cardamom is used, and we usually make bread that like in a wreath shape and take it to to our friends and put um, red cranberries on top and so on. So ah. a lot of tradition. Sirpa, so. this is uh, I, I, these calls have both been just spectacular. I want to I want to give our, our guests just a chance to react to the glories of Scandinavian Christmas. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I guess you know one one question I have, Esteban, is you know um, you hear a great call like in all those foods from Victor and Sirpa. Do you end up being like you know what maybe I'll I'll, I'll try one of those things with uh, with like a Chicano spin. Or are you, or do you just sort of say like, I'm going to stay in my lane, just in your in in your kind of cooking practice? When it comes to things like this, I love trying the what I would call like the traditional take first, mm-hmm. and then um, if you know, I if I think it could be um, 
something that I could add a Chicano twist to, then definitely one of the things that I really love to make with that Chicano twist is my horchata tiramisu. Mm. Um, and that incorporates a That's sponge such a cake good idea. Oh, instead man. of uh, lady fingers. And then you do a an horchata mascarpone cream. Um, and then you do the cake and then you do an horchata espresso soak with a little bit of hazelnut liqueur. And it is just amazing <laughs> oh my god that's my show pony dessert that's it right there man that is a show pony dessert all the way um jessica how about how about you are you like have you i assume you've made a bunch of these things or at least some of them or were there some that were just totally new to you uh i've made a bunch of them but i mean you know there's there's always something new that's the nice thing about you know being a baker or a cook but i did really like shilpa's use of the phrase baking crazy baking crazy i wrote that down that's going to be the name of my terrible cookbook my cookbook zine we might put that on the next king arthur t-shirt or something baking crazy um yeah i think you know it's it's always fun to try new things and i do think i understand people get anxious about trying new recipes, especially around the holidays, because you think like, oh, it's sort of high stakes and it has to work. Um, so, you know, for a moment, I'm just going to shill for King Arthur and say that the nice thing is that all the recipes on the website, which are free, by the way, are really rigorously tested so that you know, like if you're spending money, especially in this economy on like specialty ingredients, like that the recipes are actually going to work, which I think is a big deal. Um, and then we have a baker's hotline kind of like this forum call-in number. You can actually call the number and they'll solve your problem. You can call the problem. number and you'll get a real person on the phone, not a robot, like a real baker who can solve any of your baking problems. It's unbelievable. I called it quite a few times before I started working at King Arthur. And it's just like these little angels just waiting for you to, to call <laughs> in with your, your baking problems. Um, and it's a great resource. And it that's also free. So bakers should take advantage of that, particularly if you're, you know, being bold enough to venture into like uncharted holiday baking waters. Yeah. I mean, when I'm halfway through my horchata tiramisu and I start freaking out and <laughs> Esteban's not texting me back, then I will, I will call King Arthur. Um, on how, how about you? I um, Do you think Ukrainian uh, Christmas traditions match up well with these Scandinavians? Is it kind of like, do you feel like there's some... Uh, similar sensibility in terms of just like dish, 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 dish. Oh, I think, definitely, yeah. yes. First of all, we need to have at least 12 dishes on the table during our uh, Christmas Eve celebration. So this is a must, 12 dishes uh, and no less. And secondly, I'm so inspired by these amazing dishes and recipes. And I can almost smell the cardamom in the air right now. Yeah. So, and I totally lied to you. We have one amazing Christmas cookie. And I said, it's not a thing. It is a, a thing. So it is shaped like a walnut. We call them horishki. And it's stuffed with dulce de leche. And my mom just sent me a photo yesterday that she made a bunch of those. And I totally forgot about those because I cannot make them. I have an um, electric stovetop, which is... I hate, I hate it. <laughs> and uh, you need to have this special pan where you put this dough and you shape it and like uh, close it and it makes this uh, walnut-shaped uh, cookie shells and then you fill it with dulce de leche and now I want to make this cookie shells with cardamom or anise 
And uh, the only problem, I need so a good. gas stovetop. So I'm waiting for an invitation. My, my house is, I mean, you know, I have induction at my house. It works really well, though, I promise. Uh, <laughs> uh, we have Ron, who writes into Slander Fruitcake. My dad always repeats an old joke about there only being 10 fruitcakes in existence, and they just keep getting passed around from house to house. <laughs> and Patricia, Patricia in El Cerrito will not stand for this fruitcake slander. Uh, welcome to the show, Patricia. Oh, hi. I just wanted to say that our local um, cheese board collective that is in Berkeley on Shattuck Avenue makes a fruitcake every year that busts the myth. I mean, it's the thing that you will just love and go back for every year. I don't know how they do it, but it's remarkable. So there you go. Fruitcake in cheese board, um, pumping out way more than 10, I'm sure, each day. Uh, um, I have a lot of but, friends texting me right now, thanking me for defending fruitcake. So oh, that's there some, some lovers out here. I love when you hit a rich vein of disagreement, you know? Yeah. That's really what forums all about. Uh, we, we have a bunch of comments coming in as well. I want to run through uh, just a few of them. They're, they're lovely. Uh, Stephen writes in to say, early in my relationship with my wife, at Christmas dinner at her parents' house, her mom served a persimmon pudding, which I had never had before. Many years later, I now make it once a year for the extended family Christmas dinner, a relatively simple recipe using hachia, not fuyu persimmons, and coriander is the key flavoring. Not everyone likes it, but it brings back fond memories for me. That sounds awesome, actually, and very uh, Northern California. Uh, Jan or Jan writes in to say, try a traditional, very rich and dark English Christmas cake soaked in brandy and covered in marzipan and royal icing. Also, small mince pies. My house is currently swimming in pies and cake. And Pamela writes in to say, every Christmas, my mother, who was from France, made an amazing mocha bush de Noël. Bush Noël, right? Just Bush Noël. Which is basically made like a jelly roll with a creamy mocha filling and frosting. The most fun was decorating it with little elves and meringue mushrooms and white confectioner sugar for snow. A truly magical dessert. I've never been able to make it as well as she did. My sister makes that. That's her show, Pony Dessert, which is why I need that horchata tiramisu to, to <laughs> match up. Uh, last uh, comment here. Kelda writes, the staple of my holidays and my mother's and grandmother's and great-grandmother's before her is homemade fruit cocktail. I didn't see that coming. Every year, we plan to make it early, and almost every year, Christmas Eve finds us elbow deep in sticky juices over a giant enamel pot, chopping canned peaches and pears and pineapple into bits, and peeling mountains of citrus. The line of mothers before me made it in their Nebraska and Iowa farmhouse kitchens with the fruit they'd canned in the summer and the origins purchased with precious coin. Now I put on trombone jazz with my 14-year-old, and we get to it in our kitchen, and it's just as wonderful and connecting as it ever was. Jars of golden-hued fruit with lots of grapefruit for tartness are almost universally warmly received. Mm. Those are some good, good comments. Um, Jessica, uh, what do you want to tell us about giving things? You know, we had an early caller mention that a particular uh, Italian cookie didn't travel well. Um, so what are the things that people need to keep in mind if they're going to do what you know a lot of our callers and stuff have done, which is kind of give these things away? Yeah, I mean, I th- actually, I, I feel like we don't need, um, nobody needs more stuff, right? Like, you don't need to buy more stuff. But, and I think, um, you know, the nice thing about giving baked goods is that, you know, they always fit. Um, and you don't have to worry about the color. And, you know, people just love to receive them. I think there's something, especially like coming after this, like, weird period that we've had where we couldn't really connect with people. Like, there's something so 
lovely about making something with your own hands and giving it to somebody like that, you know, that commitment of time and, and energy, um, I think is really touching. Um, we, there's a whole blog on King Arthur about our favorite recipes for, um, making and gifting. And that includes like a, a nut brittle that you can make in the microwave. Um, it includes, mm. um, what else do we have on there? Um, granola, I think is always like a lovely thing to make and give, um, and ships well. So we have some options for things that are good if you're gifting locally. And then we also have a, another post about the best way to ship your baked goods, because I know a lot of people like to do that. And, you know, some cookies, travel better than others for sure. Um, and you want to be kind of mindful of how those things are packed. So we do go into great detail um, on our blog, kingarthurbaking.com. Yeah. Um, but I do think like, that's the thing. That's the move to give something that you've made with your own hands um, is better than anything you could buy. Yeah. Christopher in San Francisco, going to you late. What is this memory about fruitcake that you have? Oh, well, I actually builds right on uh, what your guest was just talking about in terms of gifting. My my mother and grandmother make me a fruitcake every year. No one in my family likes it uh, besides me. Um, but the magical part of it is unwrapping it. So it comes wrapped in a cheesecloth, wrapped in wax paper, wrapped in tinfoil, wrapped in a towel, put in a tin. And every night I get to sort of, after my family's asleep, sort of sneak downstairs, <laughs> sort of almost ceremoniously open it up, cut myself a thin slice, have a glass of scotch, and um, repeat, you know, for six months or so. <laughs> Christopher, Great. thank you so much. You know, my dad does this. We we get him like a fancy panettone or other kind of like Italian sweetbread, which he loves. And he basically keeps it all to himself. He like hides it. And you just, you'll, you'll see him. You'll be like, wait, where'd that come from? He'd be like, nowhere. Nowhere. Didn't come from anywhere. <laughs> um, we have been talking about holiday baking with my dear friend, Jessica Badalana, staff editor with King Arthur Baking Company, author of the cookbook, Repertoire, All the Recipes You Need. Thanks for joining us, Jessica. I hope everyone just goes baking crazy. Baking crazy. Baking crazy. Uh, <laughs> uh, Esteban Castillo, food blogger and author of the cookbook, Chicano Bakes. So great to have you on. Thanks for joining us. Thank you so much for having me, Alexis. This was really fun, and now I'm starving. So yes, I know. Come <laughs> Thank back. You. Come back anytime, anytime, Esteban. Um, and we've also been joined by Anna Voloshina, chef, blogger, culinary instructor, author of Budmo: Recipes from Ukrainian Kitchen. Go back and listen to her when she was just on solo on the show too. She'll walk you through a whole bunch of Ukrainian recipes. Thanks for joining us. Thank you so much for having me again. And uh, anytime I'm here, leaving around the corner. So anytime you want me here, I'll be there. That's so great. Thank you so much. Um, this has been so much fun. Thank you for all of your calls. I don't know that I'm going to stop thinking about some of these Norwegian uh, and, and Finnish uh, desserts for a long time. This is Forum. I'm Alexis Madrigal. Stay tuned for another hour ahead with Mina Kim. Funds for the production of Forum are provided by the members of KQED Public Radio, the Germanicos Foundation, the Generosity Foundation, and the Heising Simons Foundation. Support for Forum comes from San Francisco Opera. Set 10 years after a school shooting, the critically acclaimed opera Innocence takes us into a complex emotional journey where our understanding of innocence and guilt is constantly upended. Kaya Sariajo's ethereal score collapses the past into the present as a community of survivors grapple with how to move forward. Don't miss the highly anticipated American premiere of Innocence, June 1st through 21st. Learn more at sfopera.com. 
We've all got those parts of our house where the internet just won't go. Well, if you had wall-to-wall Wi-Fi from Xfinity, you could worry less about dead spots. Because with wall-to-wall Wi-Fi from Xfinity, you get fast speeds, reliable connection in every room, and power for all of your devices, even when everyone's online. That's wall-to-wall Wi-Fi only with Xfinity. Restrictions apply. Not available in all areas. Actual speeds vary. All over the country, we need to improve reading in Wisconsin. Schools are changing the way they teach reading. I'm calling for a renewed focus on literacy. We have gotten this wrong in New York and all across the nation. And it's happening because of a podcast. I think your podcast has changed my life. And I'm going to share this podcast with everyone I meet. Sold a Story investigates how teaching kids to read went wrong. New episodes of Sold a Story are available now.